With the USGP coming up this week, it's quite fitting we've been joined by Tony Calderon from Austin-based data science firm Valkyrie, who are basically looking into the challenges of AI and machine learning and how it can be used in motorsport. But also, he was executive producer on a very good documentary we recommend you check out, which was The Gentleman Driver. So we'll be briefly discussing that as well. Uh, but I will let Tony introduce himself from here. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, my name is Tony Calderon. I'm the uh, Chief Growth Officer at Valkyrie. Um, that's my current job. And in my past life, I've been in motorsports my whole life uh, as a driver manager and also the executive producer of the Gentleman Driver documentary. They're both key things that we want to talk to you about. To be honest, we'd like to know a little bit more about what it was like making Gentleman Driver. But I think one of the interesting things that we wanted to talk to you about first was probably the the AI and and what Valkyrie does and kind of what you foresee that having an impact on like Formula One in particular, but just motorsport as a whole. Because uh, we know you've like worked with Formula Four teams and stuff like that in the US before. Um, but that's that's about as much as anyone probably knows over here in the uk so it'd be interesting to get a bit more of an insight from from you on that yeah absolutely um so valkyrie is an uh, ai company that uh, develops custom solutions for all types of industries um, basically we write algorithms that help ambulance companies figure out how many 911 calls there will be two weeks from today we help um, video games figure out the different personas in their games so they can figure out how to create better designs. Um, we help um, media companies like uh, SiriusXM. We help them understand their customers better. Um, and then we help the Department of Defense uh, with a lot of things that we can't talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but basically we are a, sel a selection of a bunch of crazy smart scientists that use <laughs> AI to solve all kinds of really, really cool problems. You know, just basically very fancy math, very fancy algorithms that take data and extract insights from that data and create predictions for, like I said, pretty much anything um, that you can think of. And we're also very passionate about motorsports. So we've taken uh, our skills and our, um, and our passion and, and started applying it in, in different ways. Uh, we're only at the beginning of that, but uh, we're very involved, uh, like I said, with some teams. But we're also very involved with uh, some, some championships as well. Um, and we sponsor some, you know, different all kinds of race sports cars, open wheel, all of the above. Uh, you know, like I said I came from the racing world, so to me, it's been a dream to kind of come over to the other side, to the sponsor side, and figure out how do we um, how do we take this little company and use racing uh, to grow it, right? Not, not just mm. for racing technologies, but it's just, I mean, as we all know, uh, racing is all about sponsorship and networking and business uh, relationships, and yeah. We've taken that to the max, and actually, most of our clients now come from relationships we make at the racetrack. So it's been pretty cool, actually. It's kind of the dream, right? You you build your business and then you merge it with your hobby, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, it's worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, can you tell us a bit more about kind of your sort of background in motorsport and kind of how you began there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started, I mean, I obviously, I, I grew up in Mexico, so I was a big F1 fan. I was a big uh, Ayrton Senna fan. Um, and then eventually moved to the States and um, started following um, what was CART back then, IndyCart now. Um, 
and eventually in 2003 through some friends that I had uh, that were driving um, I became I started uh, working for for an IndyCar driver uh, Rodolfo Lavin was his name in 2003 and just kind of became his you know assistant uh, slash uh, PR guy slash helmet carrier slash whatever <laughs> whatever needed roommate <laughs> and um I uh, got to know some really cool teams through that and got to get got to get involved a little bit on the business side because he was sponsored by Corona Beer. So we, you know, I had got a chance to kind of see how that that all works. It was a multi-million dollar sponsorship. So from then eventually start I worked for Forsyth Racing, which back then was one of the big, big teams, uh, with Paul Tracy and uh, AJ Almendinger as drivers. And um got really involved on the PR and marketing side. Um and being from Mexico at the time, uh, then it was called Chamcar. Uh, Chamcar was quite big in Mexico. So I started working with a lot of the Mexican sponsors and drivers and eventually started my own company, just managing um, drivers and being a consultant for sponsors and teams. Um, uh, eventually, a few days later, a few years later, I started uh, what's called Speed Group, which I still own. Uh, it's a company that I am partners with uh, James Hinchcliffe, uh, obviously a very well-known IndyCar driver. And David Martinez was a very successful ex IndyCar driver. And uh, then we really started getting into the sports car side of things. So um, I put together in 2013 a really cool program that uh, ended up winning the 24 Hours of Le Mans in LMP2. So that was oh, wow. uh, quite a career wow. highlight. Uh, very cool. Yeah, that was super cool. And um, kind of grew from there, went on and uh, started working like some almost exclusively in sports cars from like around 2012 uh on and got to know a lot of gentlemen drivers obviously that's a big part of the sport and then one crazy uh night over a bottle of wine in paris uh before Le Mans, uh i was with some friends and we came up with this crazy idea that somebody should make a documentary about about gentlemen drivers because we kind of take it for granted you know that concept inside the the sport but from the outside it's, it's pretty crazy right mm -hmm. that a businessman can or woman can go and drive an lmp2 car around Le Mans and race against Fernando Alonso or uh, XF1 drivers or Philippe Albuquerque or, you know, any guys like that and, uh, yeah. and maybe win it. Right. So while running a multi-billion dollar business, right. And being away from the track <laughs> yeah. for that, that's for kind of a prerequisite, year. isn't it? If you're, uh, <laughs> you're going to become a serious gentleman driver, you need a bit of money behind you. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta afford it. Um, so yeah, we came up with this crazy idea. Like, we said, well, somebody should make a documentary. And uh, we were actually there with a film crew, just doing some little, filming around some of my clients and we ended up like filming a little bit around this and we came home here to austin texas and we we're like wow this is a really cool project um who are we gonna get to film this you know we don't know anything about making movies or anything like that like i said i just had some friends that have video production company here but um you know they, they've done like music videos and commercials but not not films um and then we realized, well, we don't even know who to ask to do this. So let's just try to do it ourselves. So long story short, uh, we kind of almost like read, you know, how to make a documentary one-on-one kind of thing. And uh, we figured out a budget and um, I went and found some investors and some sponsors for it. And then we ended up just doing it. And three and a half years later, somehow, um, it, Netflix decided that they wanted to license it. And it came out on Netflix in January of 2019. So we definitely that definitely exceeded expectations we never thought you know for me it was just hopefully it won't suck and we'll put it on youtube and you know it'll be a fun little project we do and then from that to being pretty good i have you know in, in my opinion yeah it's a good film it's a good piece 
I'd never have guessed it came from that background of having not really done that before. No. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a documentary nerd. So I, you know, I have seen, I've seen all the documentaries probably. And, uh, and I had a good, really good idea of what it, what it would look like if this was a, a film that somebody else had made and just kind of took that and went from there. You know, I mean, it took us almost three years to finish it. So it was a lot of work and we made all of the mistakes in the world, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, it came out and it's great. And, and that opened up a lot of doors and, uh, and through that is how I ended up meeting people you know, at Valkyrie and, uh, and eventually realizing, you know, there's, if you can go from um, managing drivers to making a documentary, you, uh, maybe you can go and do something else in the tech world with no experience. So that was kind of the big leap. <laughs> so experience isn't necessarily key to success. <laughs> I would say, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> experience, yes. Specific knowledge, I think, can transfer over from yeah. different businesses. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's more about the. Uh, I think problem solving applies yeah. no matter what you do. It's it, and then you just surround yourself with people that actually know what they're talking about, and you just yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And also a willingness, a willingness to learn as well, isn't it? It's a, to know to recognize where you where you are lacking knowledge, and you only need to know what you don't know, right? And then once you once you know what you don't know, you can go and find out what you don't know and, and learn the lessons and get the job done. Yeah. And I've always thought like, I, I think there's different types of people. I think for some people, if, if you're more entrepreneurial, you know, you're always looking for a challenge, you know, things after that, after a while it gets stale. And that's probably why I decided to make the movie. And then eventually why, when this opportunity came up, so I decided to sort of leave my almost 20 year motorsports career and come over. And, um, Sometimes I wish I was not like that. I wish I was more just like like uh, some other people are just like, you know, you want to stick to what you know and have consistency and security and all that stuff. But um, it gets boring, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah totally. So. <laughs> what out of interest have you actually been able to get behind the wheel of and compete in, if anything? Uh, I mean, obviously, I, uh, I always wanted to be a driver growing up, but uh, my parents were not into that. So that kind of ended that quickly. <laughs> you guys know uh, so i've never been able to actually race professionally um but obviously i'm quite involved in motorsports and get to i'm i'm lucky enough to be friends with some of the very top people in the world so um i learn a lot from them so you know i do a lot of karting i do a lot of sim um and i've every once in a while i get to get on behind the wheel of something so you know whether it's a, a formula four car or a f2000 car lmp3 uh Awesome. I think that, that was, and then we do a lot of, I live in uh, Austin, so we do a lot of cool stuff at Coda. So sometimes I'll be an instructor and get to drive cool toys around Coda. I think yeah. my favorite one has been probably the uh, the McLaren 720 around Coda is terrifying. That's, yeah, like that. That, was that the, um, was that for the Pirelli hot, the, what was it? They did, Formula One did a hot laps thing, didn't they, for social a while back? Um, yeah, back no, uh, it wasn't, I mean, I get a lot of people that call me up and be like, "Hey, we want to. I want to bring my toys to uh, <laughs> to Coda. Can you help figure that out? And can you get some professionals to uh, to to come hang out and drive us around?" So I'll always say yes. And then uh, yeah, I think at some point I had uh, uh, a very cool project here where they say like, "Hey, let's rent out the track." And I ended up hiring Elio Castroneves, Pierre Gasly, uh, Simon Pagino, and Will Owen to come drive. Uh, this person's friends around and and just to, in about 18 toys that he Amazing. had here. So that is not a bad team that was a fun group to be with and to uh, yeah. just 
fun way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so could you sort of tell us a bit more sort of in terms of what you do at Valkyrie around the kind of AI and predictive modeling and stuff, sort of how that is used kind of in motorsport or where you see that going with motorsport in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, like everything else in the world, obviously technology is advancing and uh, uh, as computing power quickly evolves and advances, it just creates opportunities for data um, uh, analysis and, and data and, and data modeling to go to places where, you know, even five years ago, it couldn't happen. Right. Um, so obviously it's expensive, so you're not going to go see small race teams right now doing a lot of stuff on the AI side because it would cost them what it costs them to go race just to hire a company like us, you know, and, and, right. uh, and and develop something for them now however we do have a couple of partner teams that we're starting to work with and you know just at, at the very base uh, help them out but in general in motorsports i mean for, uh, a lot of the formula one teams are already doing this right especially not all of them but the big teams are definitely they have their own internal data science departments and an ai departments and at the end of the day it's all about how much data can you analyze and what can you get out of it so for example um when it when a team in F1 goes and does a, a, a wind tunnel test, which nowadays they're doing it, you know, they're running those things 24-7. I mean, yeah. they're limited, you know, but they run them a lot, right? Uh, at the same time, they're running um, CFD tests, right? Um, and and obviously very limited on-track testing. Now, obviously, the, as, as you guys know, the rules are quite limited. So they need to find the sweet spot, like what do you learn in the wind tunnel? What do you learn in, in the simulations on the computer? And then how does that translate to, to actual on-track performance? Well, that's a lot of data that, and there's a lot of patterns involved between that, that sometimes it's hard to connect the dots. And unless you have 5,000 engineers sitting in a room, which is obviously not possible, it starts becoming just overwhelming, right? So, so what AI can do is really start finding uh, the patterns between different things, basically, and, and different yeah. variables. And perhaps either give give the the designers and the engineers either a little more insight into something that um, they didn't know, or like I said, I mean we've talked to F1 teams, we talked to IndyCar teams, like they get so much data that they, they just got to pick a lane and kind of stick to that. You know, if you get a hundred percent of data, you got to pick a window list. Oh wow, that's really interesting. So they have all of this. They have so, they have such a torrent, a tidal wave of data coming in that they literally they have to be picky about what they take from that tidal wave and yeah, how they. Yeah, there's much, and and there's only so much time you can do. And and if you're talking F1, you know, you already have a direction in the design of the car and the the whatever the philosophy be. Uh, behind your aerodynamics might be or, or your mechanical grip or you know or even more complicated whether for all the electronics and all that so at some point you got to pick like we're sticking to this there might be something over here but we just don't have time to look at it or it will be too com too complicated to do it yeah but maybe for next year when you're redesigning the new car you might want to explore some of this stuff you know so so ai can help understand a little better what that would look like um mm -hmm. and even in, in what you're exploring you know, at, at the end of the day, AI is all about pattern recognition. Um, so are there patterns that you're missing, right? Like, uh, and, yeah. and that's something, some of the stuff that we've done that we're helping some of our smaller teams with, which, you know, as you guys know, a small F2000 or Indy Pro or F4 team, they have maybe one engineer for three cars and maybe one, one DAG. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they can only look for so much. So they might ask us for very simple things like, 
Can you help us find the relationship between the steering angle and um, and the pedal position for the brake? You know, to see with young kids, are they inducing their own understeer or not? Yeah. Which sounds obvious, but when you're looking at it, like you just don't have time to under to look at all this. So even basic stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's Something really like, cool. That's yeah, really cool. Like because uh, it is such a they're two very very simple data points but without that that sort of I, I guess without even asking the question the data is already there but it's about having the nous to to sort of identify where there might be an issue and then the freedom to explore that using artificial intelligence exactly and also one of the things that is always makes it complicated is uh, what we call normalizing the data so th there's there's additional um uh variables right so there might be temperature or lap time itself so, you know you might get somebody that sounds like they're driving perfectly because their 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 footwork and their their steering wheel work is great but they're five seconds off well mm. that's not gonna you know doesn't work you know so mm -hmm. so then you also need g load sensors for example to understand are they doing the right thing but are they also taking the right speed and maximizing yeah. the the tire um uh capacity and then it, and it just builds, but then you got to think about tire wear, right? So it, yeah. it does start getting quite complicated. Yeah, really we just quickly try to, like, as well. You take it one step at a time, obviously, um, and try to help as much as possible. But worst case for our small teams, what we're trying to do with them is just as being their small partner, uh, sorry, their technology partner for a small team that usually that wouldn't exist for, for a small team, is can we just be like your, your uh, science department that there's no way you can afford? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. super cool. And, it, and it's early stages right now. We're just kind of experimenting a little bit, but we're hoping this is not a, a business area for us at all. Like, you know, there, there's no, we, we're going to, we're going to lose money if we try to do this <laughs> as yeah, a product yeah. as a service. It's more about the passion and, and yeah. it's, it's a way for us to walk the walk. If we're sponsoring cars on the track and, and we're bringing, bringing our actual big corporate clients there, it's, we can have a reason to be there other than just being a corporate yeah. sponsor. Yeah. Is the ultimate like end goal of that then for you to be providing those kind of facilities for F1 teams ultimately? Uh, we would love that. We actually, I can't talk about this too much, but we worked with an F1 team about a year and a half ago doing some, some small experiments um, that went very well. Um, so we would like, and it, it didn't, nothing else has happened since then only because it's one of the smaller teams and they can only pick, take so many projects on at a time. And this yeah. is just, they wouldn't even know they didn't have a place to to um to put us let's say yeah. Um, yeah. the the train had already left the station as far as like the design of the new car and all that stuff so but yes we would absolutely love to um and that's the plan eventually um do something in f1 or hypercar or lmdh or in yeah. car i mean yeah. we're, we're kind of we've dipped our toe in the waters and all of those for sure so top top tier motorsport is the is the ultimate aim right Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, why wouldn't it be? Because also, like I said, yeah. on, a, on a business side, it's, it brings you, you know, a small company like us, if we can be working with, like I said, let's say a, a hypercar team alongside, you know, the sponsors that you see, there are Ferrari and yeah. HP and, you know, whatever, uh, FedEx, you know, all those big ones. Yeah, yeah, so the, it, the huge brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I know a lot of what you, you've talked about so far, it's kind of been, it's been focused like around a lot of the development of the car and sort of aero aero development and things like that. Is there anything that you could foresee like what you do at Valkyrie being used for things like race strategy and things? Cause that, that's obviously the kind of things that we get asked about a lot. Like 
why did somebody not make this tire choice during the race instead of that one? Or, you know, why did this person choose to not go on the wet tires when somebody else did? So it'd be interesting to see if like AI could be used to sort of help analyze that and make those decisions in a, in a race environment, I guess. Absolutely. Um, and well, and, and two things that I'll talk about that, and then also some fan experience stuff that we're working on as well. But on this, uh, as far as AI being used on the strategy side, it, it's already happening for sure. With uh, as far as I know, for sure, at least with some of the F1 teams and some NASCAR teams, actually uh, have some stuff going on. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, it kind of comes back to the same, right? Like, how many variables can you interpret at a time? Um, and also, how do you apply historical data real time to a decision, right? Like humans can only do so much, you know, like strategists. And I mean, I was informing one, they have tons of simulations going and all that stuff. So, um, so they already have a lot of this happening. And when we were discussing with this F1 team, that's some of the things they wanted to know, not just what do we do now, but what's likely to happen that will help us make decisions in the future. You know, so for example, if... Um, Verstappen started from the back and it's going to rain and five of the 20 cars are in their last race of their engine. That means it's more likely that there might be a crash or there might be a spin or there might be an engine blow. Therefore, there might be a safety car, right? Therefore, we we, we got a, there's a 22% chance there might be a safety car. So th- does that affect our tire choice, you know, or something like that? So yeah, really taking all of these variables and trying to make the best of it. I mean, like, you know, th- there's no magic bullet. It's no. at the end of the day, AI always ends up being something. It just helps narrow down decisions. So it is. Yeah. Um, it can't predict the future, can it? Right. I think, I think we yeah. saw that in Turkey. <laughs> when <laughs> did, did you see the Turkish Grand Prix? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously um, the Norris situation where he, he, the driver wanted to stay out. He, he felt like he could do it. And then it became very clear, very quickly that that was not going to be the case. That was, wasn't going to be the case that he could handle the situation. Like no driver could possibly handle that situation. Um, do you think with some teams, there might be occasionally an over-reliance on, on, on these parts of data and, and maybe not necessarily trusting their driver to make the right decision and vice versa do you think maybe the driver might have been a little bit over reliant on his team for not necessarily giving him all the information that he needed to handle the situation as well i think absolutely i think at the end of the day um whatever ai ends up doing for motorsports it doesn't really change what motorsports is and what it always has been it's just different technologies right and and more advanced technologies but there's still it's still a human driving the car and still um and like not just in racing anywhere else in industry we're using stuff like this um there's no magic bullet i mean there's some like very specific automated tasks that 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 technology can do perfectly but when there is uh decisions involved and when there is um personalities and uh you know tiredness and anger uh, or you know there's motives like you know how do you know if a driver's trying to uh how can you justify an algorithm that a driver needs to impress to resign a contract you know yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean i i part of my racing crazy stuff i do it i i used to run strategy for a bunch of sports car teams um and i could tell just in my ear from the the tone of voice of a driver i could tell if (laughs) i keep him in the car or not right like those kind of things 
Yeah, yeah. You can only do so much. So it's it's a tool. It's not a it's not a it's not a full on solution. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting you say the sort of the tone of voice in the driver because there's there are AI technologies out there, the developing technologies out there that can sort of you know listen to the human voice and you, you see sort of the recreation of say Donald Trump's voice or, or a <laughs> Barack Obama voice kind of thing out yeah. there on the internet with the deep fakes and things like that. So that to- technology exists that can that can if if the technology exists that can mimic the voice, then at some point it's going to get to a point where it can listen enough to someone speaking and know what their what their mental state is, what their mood is based on based on historical data about their voice, right? So- yes, uh, but and this is where like uh, this is we deal with this stuff like more like you know this is more like nerd talk, but it's yeah, all about super the, nerdy. <laughs> the, size, the size of the uh, the data set. So for like a call center, understanding if if. Uh, if a caller sounds angry or sounds this, like you know, very generic kind of things, yeah. like we can do it because you're training data from a million calls, you know. But if we're yeah. trying to understand, like when um, Pierre Gasly sounds like this on the radio, what does it mean? <laughs> we, you only have, you know, so many data points to that. You know, so many data points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's probably quite far away from that. Data. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you um started to mention some like fan engagement type stuff before we sort of completely change topic, but I'd be interested to hear what that was. Yeah. What, one of the very cool projects that we're working on right now, um, which hopefully I wish I, I had the news by now, but let's just say that we're talking to one of the big sports car championships about becoming their official AI partner. And a lot of that involves um, taking the data, the racing data, let's say the timing data and the results data and really making make it making it interesting for the fans because as you guys know i mean racing has more data than any other sport obviously and 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 it's much easier to gather the data from racing because it's all it's a data driven sport but when we watch races and this is this applies to any championship um there's the stats that you see and the the type of information they have is super boring right compared to like when you're watching soccer or football or basketball or whatever sport you know there's so many things that they'll tell you baseball right um and aws is doing uh doing some stuff with f1 that is interesting but we have some really interesting ideas on how to take sports card data and really turn it like fan facing so you really get to interact with it and really understand what what might happen to your favorite driver in the next five laps yeah. what's happening with traffic um especially sports cars because you have traffic so it, you know yeah. get quite complicated yeah. can we help like uh simplify that uh to make it easy to understand but also to to have more data points for example like if you're watching the 24 hours at Le Mans and you're following uh like Philippe Albuquerque in his LMP2 car uh how many cars has he passed in the last eight laps there's nothing yeah. that can tell you that right now. And mm-hmm. where did he yeah. pass him? And what kind of cars were they? Stuff like that. So that's all. This. We, we've already developed some of this stuff that we're hoping to go live with uh, in the next season or two with with um, with one of the championships as part of sort of like a second screen experience for for the fans. So you can be watching yeah. on TV and following on an app and really uh, understanding what's going on. But it also creates new storylines for, for for TV and for stuff. For example. I can give you a heat map right now. You know, when you watch, typically when you watch like the intro to whatever race, they'll show you, you know, turn one, this is where the action happens and they'll show replays of crashes or whatever, you know, or Rouge, this is where the crashes happen, stuff like that. 
well, we can now show like where are the heat maps for traffic, for example, where are people losing more time, less time, where are more passes being made um, from which classes to which classes, like all that stuff. There's just a lot that can happen. And also when you're seeing a fight and F1 is really easy. Well, they're going to catch them in three laps because they're, you know, a second a lap faster. And it's, it's pretty simple. Right. But, mm-hmm. but when you have traffic involved, it gets really complicated. So we're working on things like that to like uh, anticipate what's going to happen in the future. Very That's pretty cool. Sounds like it's like the next evolution of kind of what AWS have already started. Like we we sometimes give that a little bit of a little bit of a shunning here sometimes because <laughs> it it, feel, it sometimes feels a little artificial. And I I don't I'd be interested to know like your opinion of that from the industry that you work in because I, I know we get a lot of comments about like the tire graphics in Formula One, for example, like how does a machine understand that that tire is at 10% and that one's at 40%. So it would actually be interesting if there's any kind of AI insight that you could give our listeners to that as to how that process uh, works, I guess. <laughs> I would start with saying, I think we can do it better. So we'll start with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far, I mean, I don't, and as far as how they do it, I don't know specifically how it's done. I assume there's a lot of assumptions in there. Uh, the tire stuff is quite tricky. So I'm, I'm surprised they're even trying to do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I assume there's some telemetry that, that they're getting from the cars. I mean, well, we know there is, right? Because we see it on TV and all that. I just, uh, it's, um, there's probably a lot of assumptions happening to that because as we all know, tire wear has a lot to do with uh, uh, driving style and um, tire management and all that. And I am sure that they're taking some to that into account, but um, but yes, it's uh, that's a tough one. Um, for us, we, that's what we're focusing on, more of the black and white stuff at the beginning. Although yeah. if things work out well, the, um, especially with hybrid cars coming in a couple of years in, in uh, all over sports car world, uh, we think, and we've been in discussion, that there might be some really, really cool things you can do with that telemetry. Um, but I'm really glad that AWS is doing what they're doing because it opens the door for little little companies like us, right? And, mm-hmm. yeah. and it opens the door to, to do something very similar and hopefully do it better and it like i said at the end of the day that helps bottom line because it's easier to impress and to get to know new clients when you can put yourself in that uh in that level right yeah Yeah. well it's great it's great because you know that until probably a couple of years ago i don't think anyone even thought it was a possibility to have the sort of amazon web services stuff even on screen at that point and no one really knew what the capabilities were of artificial intelligence within motorsport at all so yeah what, what you're saying definitely rings true like that those bit the big guys putting the money in shows everyone that it can be done it gives it gives us the, the sort of the less well-known businesses more opportunity to improve on it and to and just it, it gives them the gives people the awareness that it's a that it's an option and allows you guys to work off the back of that right exactly yeah yeah it's like yeah. any other technology i mean it's um quite new and and uh, most people are still um, even understanding because and like I said and, and we use AI this term we use it and we've been using it today and because that's a very broad but yet known term if, if my scientist knew that I kept saying AI and I'm not saying <laughs> learning or uh, or or uh, even more specific uh, you know uh, types of algorithms stuff like that they would uh, they would not like it, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> on the, I'm on the business side, not on the science side. So I might <laughs> yeah. keep it uh, understandable for the broader public. 
and ultimately it's about giving meaning to data right anyone can just throw data on a screen but it's about giving it meaning and context and using it to help tell the story yeah and i mean like i said back getting into nerdy stuff i mean one of the things that makes us I think very successful at Valkyrie. I mean, the type of clients we have at Valkyrie, some of the huge companies would die to to get, but because we're very good and very nimble. At the end of the day, you can get a thousand different stories from the same data set. You need very, very smart scientists to understand really what's the best way to solve a problem, right? Yeah. And what do we do with this data? Uh, you hear a lot of an AI, what's called like a black box or neural networks, where you just throw everything in into this algorithm and it, it will just pop out what it thinks the patterns are, what it thinks um whatever type of uh prediction might be but um it, it it's it's you don't know how we got to that you don't know why what's happening so we try to be a lot more intentional about like let's figure out how to solve a problem as as scientists and as humans and then we'll use ai as a tool to actually make it happen as opposed to just let it do its own thing yeah mm -hmm. um we wanted to also kind of ask you sort of about kind of broadly kind of F1 in America, because obviously we are sort of, you know, the other side of the pond. Um, but from the outside, it looks like, you know, Circle Americas is coming up to its 10th anniversary, I think, of hosting F1. We've got Miami on the calendar. There's rumors of Vegas. So it certainly looks like F1 is as big in America as it probably ever has been. Is, would you say that's true? And like, do, do you see that growth continuing? I would say, I mean, actually, it's Wednesday afternoon here in uh, Austin, Texas, and your uh, F1 is this weekend. So if you walk around town, you'll see there's a lot of people here. The race is absolutely sold out. Uh, we as Valkyrie, we're having this huge activation. We're hosting about 50 people there and all that. And it's been the hardest year to do it only because the, everything is completely packed, sold out, you know. Uh, so, yes, absolutely. And like you said, I mean, you have Miami coming next year, which already is looking like it's going to be quite successful. And um, I would say, yes, at least in the modern era, it, it feels like F1 is really, really picking up. Um, no doubt that Drive to Survive has been, I think, a big driver of that. Yeah. Probably around the world, I would say, but obviously there, there was just more gap to be made here in the US. Um, you know, you meet a lot of people that are not, were not F1 fans or even are not F1 fans. Like they're not watching the races perhaps every weekend, but they know what happened last season because they watched, you know, Drive Survive Season 3 or whatever it is, and they know the drivers. And and uh, it's definitely becoming a more mainstream sport. Um, so, yeah, it's very exciting. And like you said, uh, yeah, I think we're in the 10th year. I think 10th year here in Austin. Uh, I believe it's the last year of the contract, but hopefully it will get renewed. Um, yeah. I think Miami, it, maybe if Miami would have come on board five years ago, it probably would have been quite a problem for Coda. Hopefully now it's more like you know the tides rising between the two the, the two events and and it just it now you just have two events two very successful yeah. events yeah it feels that way and now you know there's rumors of obviously a a, a rebranded Haas team with Andretti uh, which I'm sure you guys mm. have heard about yeah the little things like that can only help right um, so yeah fingers crossed I mean obviously. I'm a big fan so the more we have here the better <laughs> yeah we just need American driver as well now. Um... Hoping. Yeah, apparently uh, that that Andretti deal might bring one with him. That's that's yeah. Rumor. So the rumors say. Um, hoping Logan Sargent makes it through as well because he's uh he's been doing pretty well in the junior series. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The the big one is who do you think will win this weekend at Kota? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna put my money on Hamilton. 
I think. Uh, and who do you want to win? <laughs> if, if you could have any driver on that grid right now win, like who would you go for? Uh, Pierre Gasly. Yeah. Go for him. You mentioned his name a few times. Yeah. I could feel that coming. <laughs> yeah, he's just, you know, like, like I said, we got, I got to spend a, a, a little bit of time with him. He's a really good guy. And I think yeah. it's always the best of the rest, right? So, um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Cool, like anyone was uh, unhappy to see him win the other year. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, the championship is going to get quite interesting. I mean, it already is incredibly interesting, right? So, uh, Hopefully, I mean, Coda doesn't usually produce the best racing, unfortunately, but uh, so quality should be important and the weather looks nice. So I don't think it's going to rain. Hmm. So, yeah, we'll see if Mercedes can get back, uh, back up there. The, the even bigger question, who do you reckon is going to win the title? I think uh, Hamilton's going to win it. And, uh, but it's going to be very close. Yeah. yeah. Down to the last race. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it yeah. will be. Or even now, like my, my prediction is either Hamilton wins this year or for sure he wins next year and retires before anybody, before uh, Russell can ever beat him. He'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do the, the Rosberg move. Yeah. Be a wise move, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that about wraps up what we wanted to uh, go over, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. Uh, just leaves us, I guess, saying... Thank you to you, Tony, for uh, joining us and having a little chat about everything that you've gone through today. Cool. Well, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate the time. And yeah, uh, let's keep in touch for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we were actually talking today about how much a lot of us want to go to the race at Cota next year. So uh, we'll have to drop your message if we're oh, there cool. next year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And any sports car races that you guys, if you guys ever want to go on, uh, let me know. Yeah, sure. definitely. Yeah, that'd be rad, man. That'd be really cool. Cool. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. That was that was fascinating. It was really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, and enjoy the race this weekend. Yeah, thanks. We'll do. <laughs>